Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Today, I have a very special guest with me to talk puppies in my final installment of the puppy topic. If you haven't checked out the first two episodes on puppies, I hope you will give them a listen as well. When I first decided to talk about puppies here, I knew I wanted to interview Jane Messonio-Lindquist, aka Jane Killian, about her incredible puppy program, Puppy Culture. I've been a fan of Jane's work since she published When Pigs Fly, Training Success with Impossible Dogs several years ago, and I still recommend that book all the time to anybody who's looking for a clear guide on dog-friendly training. So when puppy culture emerged, I knew it was going to be great, and I had no idea just how spectacular it was actually going to be. Jane, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sarah, thanks so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so my husband Mark and I breed bull terriers under the Mad Cat's kennel name, and I've had bull terriers since 1982, and I've been showing them since 1997. And, you know, we, have, we breed show dogs. Our dogs do extremely well in the show ring. We are show breeders. Uh, we have the number one white bull terrier in the country last year. But at the end of the day, we are acutely aware that, in essence, we are pet breeders. Because if we have one dog from each litter that we can move forward with in our breeding program, we consider that a win. All the other puppies have to go to pet homes. So our overriding concern is to breed behaviorally sound pets that can fit into those homes and a 21st century lifestyle. Awesome. Thanks, Jane. I really find that interesting. What do you think, what do you think that means as far as um, breeding dogs or producing dogs that can live with people today? Yeah, it's a great topic, Sarah, and, and a deep, deep question. Because as, as a fancier of, of bull terriers, I am committed to breeding typical dogs, both typical in the way they look and typical in the way they behave. So breed type being the thing that makes that dog that breed and no other breed. The thing that makes that dog typical for that breed. And personality and temperament is as much part of breed type as the way a dog looks. The way a dog acts is part of breed type. Now, though that having been said, most dogs were bred for things to do things that are incompatible with the 21st century lifestyle. So the Border Collie, which was bred to be able to go out and herd sheep tirelessly all day and frankly quite obsessively, is perhaps not the best fit for the family of four that live in the suburbs and think that you know taking a dog for a 15 minute walk twice a day is, is enough for that animal. Um, you know, dog, excuse me, a dog that was bred to guard something. It's, it does really good in that context, but in the context, again, of the family taking it to, to the, the neighborhood soccer game, it's not so great if it's going to guard. It's great if it's guarding sheep, but mm-hmm. not so great if it's guarding the kids from other kids. Right. So, yes. Did I, you, no, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, so then, you know, the, the, the question becomes, as breeders, how can we stay committed to being true to our breed type? but yet still 
produce and, and place animals in such a way responsibly that they're going to thrive in their home? And the answer is one of two things. Either you have to make a commitment to breeding dogs, that to placing dogs in an appropriate home for the way that they've been raised and bred. So if you breed working border collies, and there are people who breed working border collies, and that is it. They're, these are farm dogs, they're working border collies, and they only place them as working border collies. That is fantastic, and that is 100%. I'm, I'm down with that. But if you are going to breed dogs that are working border collies and then place some in working border collie homes and some in pet homes, you're going to have to do some extra protocol. You need to bring those dogs to a place where the average pet family can handle them. And I, I believe that can be done in most cases if you get started early enough. Awesome, Jane. So that really segues into the next question, which is why did you start puppy culture? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's another great question and, and another deep question. Uh, the, what happened with puppy culture was, as, as you mentioned, I wrote that book, When Pigs Fly, so I, I was a dog trainer, I was a professional dog trainer, and with a commitment to difficult-to-train breeds. And my husband and I, he wasn't my husband at the time, but my, my now husband and I were working on the When Pigs Fly training video to be a companion to the book, and we were having a litter. And I said, you know what? I'm a big fan of this Pat Hastings book, which I'm sure every breeder out there knows, which is another piece of the puzzle. And they have, she has this piece in the beginning about the developmental periods of puppies, which, again, I, I think every breeder in the country, is, that book is dog-eared from reading through that, that section. And I said, wouldn't it be great if we just did a 20-minute video and, and just did like a video illustration of these de developmental periods just to show people what it looks like. Well, okay, four years later, <laughs> we have a five-hour DVD. Because what happened in the process of doing this is I realized what a deep subject it, it, it is. And it sort of brought together for me a lot of things that I was seeing in my practice as a trainer, dealing with non-biddable dogs in particular. So these are, I, I really wasn't getting into so much I think you get into some more hardcore behavioral stuff. I mean, I wasn't getting into the really, I would say, quote-unquote, messed-up dogs, but these were just dogs that were non-biddable, difficult, wild, you know, probably perfectly sound mentally dogs that people just didn't know how to deal with because they, they were not typical breeds. Um, but I was seeing a lot of the stuff that people were considering behavior problems in those dogs. And I'm seeing a correlation with, oh, these are this, these are really under socialization issues, or these are issues where certain things weren't done at certain times when the puppy was very young. And now the, the dog is defaulting to its default genetic material. There's nothing wrong with the dog. This is how it is. This is the natural, this is the nature of a dog unless you do some interventions when they're young. So all of this started coming together, and I started realizing that people, breeders, and puppy owners need to understand the, how crucial this time is in this socialization period from, well, really the first 12 weeks altogether, but in particularly from 3 to 12 weeks, how crucial it is that you get certain work done in that time. Because if you don't, 
the dog is going to, again, default to its DNA, which you're not going to care for. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. probably not going to be what you want. Um, all that having been said, it doesn't give you a pass in the sense that, you know, you have to do all this stuff. There's a lot of windows that are going to close if you don't get it done by 12 weeks. And that doesn't mean that then you're golden and you never have to do anything else. No, you still have to do everything else. But at least this kind of gets you a ticket to go to the next level and not have to stop at, you know, some behavioral camp <laughs> to, to, <laughs> yes. to undo the fact that you didn't get your, your work done in the first 12 weeks. So long story short, we just saw the huge need for this. We saw that, that nobody had done it really uh, in, in a format that people, that was accessible for people in one place. Nobody had brought it all into one place and tied all the pieces together. So that's what led to us doing puppy culture. And you did, and it is fantastic. And the DVD has sold thousands of copies. Um, the Facebook page has around 39,000 followers. There's this rich 10,000 member deep discussion group on the puppy culture protocols um, where there's breeders and puppy buyers all talking about, um, you know, their different applications of the principles and when I first watched the DVD, I really knew that it was something very special. It's very well done. It's very clear. And I was obviously not alone. Why do you think puppy culture has been so successful so far? Well, well, first of all, I'm really flattered by your praise. It's it's really nice to hear that, that someone like you appreciates it. Uh, you know, I think there's a few, few things that we focused on Again, whatever's in puppy culture, it's really almost like, uh, how shall I say, it's like an open source code in the sense that this is the result of what my mentor shared with me plus whatever research I did. It, I didn't make up anything in puppy culture. It's, it's, not, it's not like I did some primary research that I own that I have a patent on. I just brought it all together in one place. And again... I think it's the organization and presentation of it that people find very appealing and the fact that it is, we did produce basically, we call it a teach-umentary in the sense that it's, it's a documentary quality, broadcast quality film that makes the information in it very easy to assimilate for people. Uh, we also worked very hard to find sources for everything. In other words, it, I didn't just say, well, this is what you do. I, we went, we researched it, and we found somebody. We went to California, we interviewed Gene Donaldson, we, we interviewed Megan Heron from uh, Ohio State University, Dr. Megan Heron, who's the director of behavioral studies there. So to name just two. So we tried to back up everything we did with authority and science, which also, I think, makes it much more persuasive for people. Um, I mean, I could go on all day about what, you know, what, <laughs> yes. makes, what why I think it's different, but, you know, I think in, in a nutshell, it's, it's the content and the, the organization of the content that, that I think people really find compelling. I completely agree. Uh, the way that it's presented is 
very easy to absorb. It's also adorable because your bull terrier puppies are so cute that I don't understand how anybody walks away from it not wanting to just hold one of them. Um, but it's it's really well done and I really appreciate um, the science background as well that you did. So what positive changes have you seen come about as a result of puppy culture? Wow, there's so many things that we're proud of with this. And there's, let's just say, there's the obvious positive change, which is that we've got 10,000 breeders on our discussion group and 30-some-odd thousand followers who are taking the next step toward being better breeders, toward doing the protocols that they need to do to raise behaviorally sound puppies. So without a doubt, this is going to be our biggest legacy. And we're very proud of that. But there's a couple other things that we're just so excited about, and one of which is that we sort of built a big tent here where a lot of different breeders and rescue and foster people are coming together. We're finding that a lot of the sort of friction that you that, that previously we were feeling between rescue groups and breeder groups and, and even like good quote-unquote, responsible breeders and backyard breeders that, that we're beginning to sort of soften some of those lines and people are coming together under one tent to, again, crowdsource their information and help us help each other be better. And that just makes us so excited, really makes us so excited to see because we can really lift each other up if we, if we I don't want to say if we stop fighting with each other, but if we, <laughs> if we all come together and, you know, realize that ultimately we have a common goal here, which is, again, to raise behaviorally sound dogs. And we could apply that to so many things. I think about that in dog training all the time. You know, it's just, you put, you know, put 50 dog trainers in a room and the only thing they're going to agree about is that the other guy is wrong. <laughs> and... yeah, yeah. I know. Well, and, and hey, listen, it's not, it's not limited to, it's not limited to sort of sub, more subjective topics. I remember Dr. Leo, who's in the, the veterinarian in the uh, film, his father-in-law is an immunologist, and he said, listen, Jane, I was asking him about things about vaccines and trying to get answers, you know, because we do a whole piece on vaccination versus socialization and when is it safe. And, mm-hmm. and he said, listen, Jane, they tried to... They, the, the, top immunologists from around the world came together in a room, you know, and tried to come up with a final, like, this is what we're going to recommend as a vaccine protocol and get the science behind it. And this way. He said they, they wound up arguing with each other. Like, they couldn't agree on anything. There was fistfights. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> so, you know, even when it's supposedly hard science, it's hard to get people to agree. Completely. Completely. Um... So what is the key difference that you're seeing in your litters now versus your litters before puppy culture? Well, now now that's going to be a hard question for me to answer because I can't really say I had before puppy culture litters. I I was fortunate enough to have great mentors who would literally call me every day and say, well, today's day X and this is what you do today. And then they would tell me to go, do this or put that toy in or move this or introduce the puppies to that. So I would say I've never really had a fully non-puppy culture litter, although I have refined things a lot since then. 
and added some stuff like the scent work that I didn't use to do. But I certainly can say two things. I, I hear what people are saying as far as what the differences are in their litters, and I also have bought puppies that were not raised puppy culture or anything close to it, and the difference is pretty amazing in, in the sense of just the emotional resiliency of, of the puppy. I, part of, when I had my first litter, my commitment to doing all this work with them was that I'd done agility with my bull terriers, which is like an oxymoron because they're just, they're terrible. <laughs> they run away, they, they don't pay attention to you. So I was just absolutely committed to almost imprinting a work ethic in these puppies that is not natural to them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it made a huge difference. It, since I've, the difference between the puppies that I raise and the puppies that I bought is night and day in terms of being able to go out and do performance sports with them and not have to worry about them running away from me. And my first agility dog, I, I spent, Bull Terrier, I spent two years running after her. I mean, literally, she'd do two obstacles and around the ring, two obstacles and around the ring. <laughs> and she was a great, great dog. I mean, if I had raised her, I think, from a puppy, she would have been, you know, I never would have had that problem because once the penny dropped, she was fantastic, but it took two years. Right. So in essence, I've cut two years out of the process with what I do with puppy culture. That's fantastic. Um, really fantastic. So, and, and I actually have my first puppy culture dog now, Felix, and then I, all of my other dogs were pretty much born on a ranch with not not even anything close to puppy culture. <laughs> and yeah. I see a huge difference too. Um, a huge difference in just his fearless kind of plow forward and try anything kind of attitude is um, pretty, pretty remarkable, especially for his breed. So um, if you could impart one piece of information to all potential puppy buyers, what would that be? In a nutshell, <clears throat> select a breeder, not a puppy. So I cannot tell you how many people we get on the puppy culture discussion group asking, I'm looking for a puppy culture breeder of X breed. <clears throat> Pardon me. And we do have a breeder directory. It's, it's not an official directory, but it's sort of a self-reported directory of people who are doing puppy culture. And they'll go and they'll say, well, listen, you know, I want a... Cooney Cooney dog. There is no such thing. I have to <laughs> yes. I say that. I want a Cooney Cooney. And, but, you know, I live in Massachusetts, and the closest one I see is in Tennessee. I, for God's sake, travel. Go where you yes. have to go. Do whatever you have to do. Pick the breeder, not the puppy. And I'm not, and listen, puppy culture is not the only thing out there. I mean, there are plenty of very good breeders who do mostly what we do or similar, and they, they raise their puppies well. I would recommend you watch puppy culture, at least to kind of wrap your head around what a breeder should be doing, and then just verify that the breeder is doing the same things, whether or not they've watched puppy culture. Uh, but number one, don't be afraid to travel and pick the breeder. 
And it, it's interesting, Jane, I talked about that in, um, I think it was the first puppy episode. I talked about how important I thought it was to pick the breeder and not, not worry as much about the puppy. Um, and obviously, you know, then, and then you're going to have to pick a puppy or somebody's going to pick the puppy at some point, but that if you've done your job and really picked the great, you know, the breeder, um, who's doing a great job, she has lived with this litter for the first, you know, two to three months of its life and she'll know them. She'll know them way better than you can walking in on one day. And it'll be, you know, to me, that's, that's the the beauty of it is being able, you know, picking the breeder, trusting the breeder. Then you don't have to worry as much <laughs> about picking the right dog because you don't have to walk in and have, you know, an hour to decide or try to pick based on photographs. Or, you know, I know people who have picked based on video that they've seen of the litter. Um, you mean the, the puppy buyer is picking yes, the dog? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so to me, if you've picked, if you have selected a breeder who's really doing a fantastic job, it really takes so much responsibility off your shoulders, then now you guys can just have the conversation of what's right for you, and then this person who uh-huh. really, really knows this litter can help you help you or make the choice for you. Um, people are really afraid of that. I know in the agility know, world, say, and they it's shouldn't hard be. For people put themselves in someone else's hands. It is but true, but it's mm-hmm. a it's a good idea to allow the breeder mm-hmm. who really, if you've done a good job, if you've picked a really good mm-hmm. breeder, to let mm-hmm. them do that work for you because they actually know the puppies, and you can't know them walking in, um, you know, sight unseen, and definitely get on yeah, a plane, <laughs> definitely yeah, travel. Go ahead. Definitely travel. And and I would add, I'm going to add sort of a part B to this, which ties into why we called it puppy culture. You know, I would say that breeders pretty much do fall into two camps, and one is sort of the dominant, you know, correction, pack order kind of, you know, yes. what I'm talking about. Yes. And then there's the more modern reinforcement-based, uh, I, I hesitate to use the word quicker trainer, but that, that style of breeder, sure. let's say. And the, the philosophical difference between rearing methods between those two camps is going to be huge. Because in one, you know, if you are going to use what they call dominance, but basically is fear avoidance to control the puppy. You yes. need to, they're going to be instilling that in those puppies at the cost of what you described in your puppy, which is fearlessness, boldness, the, the trust and, and, and willingness to seek enrichment because they just believe that everything out there is going to be great for them and that they can offer behaviors and that they're going to, it's just going to be a free flow of sort of information between you and the puppy. You're not going to get that from a person that is a traditional dominant style person. And puppy culture is based very much on the model that the puppy is going to be raised in a culture of trust and understanding, and the puppy is going to be raised to be awkward, and the puppy is going to be enriched to be an enrichment seeker. And if you are looking for that, you need to confirm that the breeder is philosophically aligned with where you are. 
if they are philosophically aligned with where you are and if they do raise puppies in, to be enrichment seekers, similar to what we do with puppy culture or puppy culture, then you really, you, you put yourself in their hands and you'll do well. You'll do well. I think that's so important, Jane. I hadn't thought um, to bring that up and I'm really glad that you did because I think you're right. What I've what I've witnessed and observed is that breeders do tend to fall on one side of that fence or the other. And the philosophical difference is is enormous. If the puppies are in, you know, this culture of, you know, yelling or any, you know, any other kind of fear avoidance type stuff that is, uh, yes, touted as dominance, quote unquote. Um, or respect. No, well, they call it respect. And it's fear <laughs> yes, and it's fear and it's fear avoidance. Um, I could actually, to be honest, to be very honest, give you a list of dogs that I've worked with who had major behavior problems, whose breeders fell on the quote unquote respect side of this spectrum. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. And we can well, relate that the back to... I get in my practice. Oh that's yeah. That's well the breeder told us to dump water on the dog tent. The breeder told us to, to to let them know that we are the boss and we won't put up with that. Like oh mm. Right. How's that working out for you? I, obviously not, because they had to call you. <laughs> right. Um, and it's it is really it's it's a big deal. So even if they're not doing puppy culture, even you know even if they're not familiar with puppy culture, uh-huh. find somebody uh-huh. that's philosophically uh-huh. aligned with what um, you're looking for, and I think that's a big deal. Um, yeah, and I, you know I, I want to hasten to add here too that I'm not making this a bash of people that no. don't do it my way. Because there are lots of them, and and you know what, I, I that that is really your monkey, your zoo, if you want to live that way in your life. But I'm saying if you, there is a philosophical cultural difference, and 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 I'm not saying this in any, I'm not condoning, and I'm not condemning, but truly, like I have friends that what they'll do is they'll take little puppies and they'll let the they'll put them baby gate up on a, a door and not secure it so it will fall on the puppies once because you know why because then they'll always respect that baby gate and then okay. they can just put a baby gate and the dog will never rush it or anything now i mean arguably for a lot of people but hey that's great all i ever i don't never rush the baby gate all i do is put it up and they'll always respect it my dog's baby gate it's like it's like a joke you know they just <laughs> whack it down and they're like oh an obstacle a problem let me solve this problem and you know so it's a cultural difference that I want the dog that's going to knock the baby gate down. A lot of people don't want that. And if you are going to base your relationship with your dog on fear and avoidance, yeah, you do have to instill it early in the puppy. It's not my culture, and I imagine it's not the culture of most of the people that are listening to you, but it's something to be alert to, that there's a big difference. And that it really matters. Because a lot of the people that I've talked to kind of say, you know, that's fine. I'm going to get the puppy at, you know, eight or nine weeks or whatever. And then it's going to come to my house and then it's going to be clicker trained. Um, Uh And the truth is, it does matter. You want to do a lot, but, mm -hmm, you know. Yeah. Some things, not so much. Exactly. Um, We could go on and on about that. So let's go. (laughs) Let's go. Let's hop over. So my next question, I just asked you what, what 
piece of information you would give all puppy buyers if you could? What piece of breeders? Okay. Yeah. yeah, So what piece of information would you give to breeders? Well, okay. So first of all, if you, I mean, it really depends who the breeder is. Okay. If you're a puppy culture breeder, if you're a person who's falling philosophically where we are, hold out. Don't be in a hurry to place your puppies. If you have to hold puppies for longer, hold them for longer. It's going to be more work. You're going to have to do a lot of the socialization protocols. And I, I've been there. I mean, I've had five, five months of old puppies in my house at a time, and it's a headache. But don't be in a hurry to place puppies, and don't ever uh, compromise on what what you expect from your homes. You will find the positive reinforcement homes eventually. They'll come to you. So that would be my, my biggest piece of advice as far as success in, in finding the right homes. And if you're not... If you're a new breeder, my, my, I guess, biggest piece of advice is that this period when you have these puppies, they're not just swaps of protoplasm. There is huge work that you can do at this time, and it behooves you to find out what that work is and do it. Excellent. I love it, Jane. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Is there anything else that you would like to add? No, except... Uh, Feel free to join us on Facebook on the Puppy Culture Discussion Group and uh, ask any questions you might have. This has been really fun. Totally. I will second that notion. I'm on that discussion group, and it is fantastic. All right. Thank you so much, Jane. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sarah. Bye-bye. This concludes my puppy series, and that was Jane Killian, you guys. I feel so blessed that she talked to us on the podcast You can check her out at puppyculture.com, and you can send me an email with any questions at cogdogradio at gmail.com. I hope you'll join me next time. Thanks.